Making a recipe that calls for butter? Make it better with European butter from France. With a minimum of 82% butter fat, it's no wonder French butter is the number one choice of chefs the world over. Whether you're whipping up an omelet, sauteing vegetables, or spreading it on toast, the rich, cultured flavor of butter from France always elevates. Be sure to look for Made in France on the label. And for recipes, tips, and tricks, go to tasteeurope.com. I didn't want to be judged on how healthy I was, but actually how good I was. And I thought there were some really brilliant vegetarian chefs out there, but they were so judged on being vegetarian and not on their skills. This is Taste. I'm your host, Matt Rodbard. Dirt Candy is a vegetarian restaurant on New York's Lower East Side that has become famous over the past decade for making delicious items like eggplantarium soup, kimchi donuts, and tomato fruit leather. But its chef Amanda Cohen makes one thing very clear. The restaurant's mission is not about vegetarianism or health or politics. It's about making vegetables taste really, really good. Period. In this episode, we talk with Amanda about the 15-year run at one of New York's most important restaurants. We discuss her early experiences working with Moby and her deep understanding of how to run a restaurant in these modern times. Also, we talk about cookbooks. Should Amanda write another one? We find out. I hope you enjoy this conversation. Amanda Cohen, welcome to This Is Taste. Yeah, oh, thank you so much for having me. I, I'm. It's been a long time coming. You you spoke with with Anna uh, several years ago. So, but this is our first episode. So, thank you for coming in. Oh, uh, I feel like it's been a while since we've chatted. So it's nice to yeah. get this chance. Well, we first chatted in 2008 when you opened Dirt Candy in a small spot in the East <laughs> Village. Uh, now, formerly Superiority Burger, going to now be a pizza shop. I know. I feel like it's a good luck spot, right? Like there's like the unlucky spots, the cursed spots. And this is definitely for as weird and uncomfortable and awkward as it is, it's like a blessed spot. It really is. You're also right next to Ollie's, which is the cat shelter. Yeah, that's true. And that's where I got my cats. You did? Yeah. 11 years ago, no, 13 years ago, Sam and Chuck arrived from Ollie's. Oh, were they nice? They're the best cats we've had. Them. And those people at Ollie's are so wonderful. They're just beautiful people. Oh, that's, uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah that was a weird store because <laughs> it took over Atomic Passion, yeah. which was uh, in the East Village forever. A legend, an absolute legend. And also on a food podcast talking about cat shelters is not really <laughs> what we want to do here. Um, I wanted to bring it up because I, I first met you um, having a meal there in 2008. And it, it, you're going on 15 years running. You have a new location, Wolf, well, in 2015. But man, uh, what a crazy run you've had. How the hell do you do it? How do you how do you maintain momentum? How do you how do you keep operating in New York without stopping for 15 years? Um, well, I'm incredibly competitive. So I always want to make sure like we're the best and people are talking about us. Uh, I really don't like to fail. Um, so the only way I know how to do that is to keep getting better and, and to be, again, better than the people around me. But I like what I do. And I have a, a staff that sort of um, keeps pushing us forward. Uh, 
I seem to be getting older, but they seem to be getting younger yeah, and more eager and excited. And uh, right now we have actually have a really amazing staff at the restaurant and it uh, it makes it easy. It's like you kind of want to go to work and and see what's going to happen every day. Yeah. I, we'll talk about the the dynamic at your restaurant now and the way that you staff and, and how your structure is is quite progressive. You've been doing this for a while. But like, let's go back a little bit. Um, when you before you opened Dirt Candy uh, 15 years ago, you were I read your bio from like back in the day and it said that you had consulted at, quote unquote, almost every vegetarian restaurant in New York City. You were the chef of Rockstar Moby's Tea House, Teeny. <laughs> Definitely shout out to Tini. So first question is, what was vegetarian food like 17 years ago when you were consulting at every restaurant? At every restaurant. Um, well, it was very different than it is now. I think uh, there were some really good restaurants and restaurants that really served the city. But uh, it, they sort of also served people's like philosophies, life philosophies, much more so than the food. So it was like, oh, you know, people who are really vegetarian because of the environment or because of health or because of political reasons. Um, And they... So that was sort of the number one reason for the the restaurant's existence and and not the the food. And so it was sort of coming out of that like hippie era. It was still a lot of like brown rice and tofu and and mock meat. And I loved a lot of them. Yeah, uh, shout just, out to Zen Palette. Yeah, right. Oh my, oh my god. Goodness. Remember when it was on Union Square and really fancy? Do I remember? <laughs> I mean the the mushu platter. They're like like this like combination was like. Every week I would go there yes. in like 1999. Yeah. So I had gone the first time, I think, in 1993. Yeah. Uh, I was in uh, university and my mom and I went out for a <laughs> fancy lunch there. And it oh. was like there was a fancy portion of it upstairs and we were like blown away. Um, and then it had like it's more casual space downstairs mm-hmm. and it opened a bunch of different ones. But yeah. And so yeah. they were delicious. Um, I just when I was sort of trying to figure out what I wanted to do. And I had a really interesting experience uh, working uh, long after Teeny, but at Pure Food and Wine, uh, where I had become the chef for lots of different reasons. And uh, I kind of had free creativity. Like I I could do what I wanted and but you were in such a box there. Like you could only cook (laughs) to 118 degrees and all of a sudden food became more than just food and sustenance, but it became this way to like be, have fun. Yeah. Uh, And uh, I realized that I thought that was something that New York was missing was cooked fun vegetarian food. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Not like macrobiotic diet culture. Yeah. I didn't want to be judged on how healthy I was, but actually how good I was. And I thought there were some really brilliant vegetarian chefs out there, but they were so judged on being vegetarian and not on their skills. Yeah. It was an absolute stigma to be a vegetarian chef. And but let me ask you about Moby. So Teeny was great. I mean, when you, do you have something that you, you put brought to that menu that you're proud of? Well, Kelly Tisdale, uh, she had opened it with Moby and I, the yeah. original menu was hers and I had gone in and uh, I think I had written her like letter, maybe an email. I'm not even sure if email existed then. I probably did. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, uh, AOL.com <laughs> account. Yeah, exactly. Um, and I had said, you know, I, I think what you're doing is great, but I, it seems like maybe you need a chef to help you out a little. I don't know where, like I'm not actually like a... Uh, I'm a pretty nervous and shy person, so where I 
got this sort of like uh, gumption to go do that. And I was like, but, you know, I think, you know, it's a tea house and we could make it more tea housey and do tea sandwiches and, you know, some more fun things. And I'd really like to help you out. And she was like, great. And yeah. So all of a sudden I had a job at Moby's Tea House. That's cool. Uh, yeah. And I think I did I did a lot of the vegan desserts and um, like the tea sandwiches. And then I also made like the soups and salads and sandwiches, whatever. There was like there was no kitchen. You just sort of like prepped in the middle of the. This was the space station. on Rivington Street. Uh, yeah. Like that that original down the steps in Rivington teeny that we know. Yeah. And we did a lot. Yeah. For, of food in that little space. I'd get there at like 4 a.m. and cook until like 8 a.m. and then leave. Oh, my God. And and so Moby, what was, do you still touch, talk, talk, you know, touch base with Moby? I don't, but every once in a while we bump into each other like really randomly at like 2 a.m. drunk. And I don't think he remembers me. And I'm like, hey, it's Amanda. And he's like, oh, my goodness, hi. Yeah. And so then I'm like, oh, you do remember me. Yeah, we you remember me. Yeah, he, I loved his cookbook. And, and I like Little Pine, too. That was a good restaurant when he was running that. I know. I never actually made it to it. Yeah. Uh, I wish I had. But he was super nice. And I, they were both nice. I mean, it was a really weird, funny little scene. And it yeah. was sort of when the Lower East Side was like true Lower East Side. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, they also let me kind of do whatever I wanted. It sounds, I never have spoken to you about your time at Teeny, but it it really must have informed your original Dirt Candy experience, which was a tiny space itself, <laughs> right? Yeah, learning how to cook, like, with just basically a toaster oven yeah. and, like, one burner. Um, yeah, I was sort of like, yeah, if I can do that there, I can do that anywhere. Was it a cold kitchen? Was it, like, an electric kitchen at, uh, yeah. at, at Dirt Candy? No, Dirt Candy um, had... Uh, gas, gas. But only in the... We only had gas in the fryer... And the oven. Our stove has always been induction, mm-hmm. um, which everybody thinks I'm like really forward thinking about. But it's really <laughs> just because we had to keep the dining room cold. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and so if we had gas, that would make it so much hotter. Uh, and uh, we didn't have when we opened Dirt Candy. It took us about six months before we got gas, mm. and then uh, we finally got gas. And but for a while we d- were cooking and frying in a tiny like little like. You know, like Barbie-sized fryer and easy bake oven. Yeah, yeah. I remember, I mean, those early days, I mean, what was the covers? Like, was it like 15 seats, 12 seats? I don't know. We had 18 official seats. Yeah. And official. <laughs> official seats. Right. Um, and then we could seat at one time if everybody was um, small <laughs> in the dining room, like up to like 22. Um, and then, uh, so like in one night it, we could actually do up to like 64 people, but I mean, it was, it was really small and we'd, people would be like, oh, we're two people, you know, can you squish in another third? And Oof. we'd ha- actually have to say, well, we can put another chair at your table, but you know, if you're not petite, yeah. <laughs> you're going to feel really uncomfortable and they'd be like, no, it's fine or whatever. I mean, very awkward conversations because the dining room was so small. Yeah, yeah. I'm a wee little vegan, you know, like like I can I can fit in. No, I mean it, it definitely had a, a real vibe, and and you eventually made it uh, made a decision to move uh, in 2015 in a much larger space. And I want to focus on your current iteration um, first. Um, Let's just talk about what you have on the menu right now because I think this conversation is a little void of food so far. But, like, what have you been loving right now on your menu for your summer menu? Um, okay. Well, we have two dishes I really love. Love it. Uh, I mean, I love everything uh, that's Obviously. on there. But there's uh, – we have um, – Every year we put our tomato tart back on, and I think this year it's really fun. It's a little cupcake, uh, <laughs> nice. but that's not my favorite. <laughs> <laughs> um, we 
one of the we send out gifts, uh, little extras. And so right now, the one of the gifts is this teeny tiny little uh, uh, fennel kimchi chopped cheese. Mm, uh, it's about, like the Bronx style coming yeah, down. Bronx, yeah, exactly. It's about the size of like your thumb. <laughs> uh, it comes wrapped up in a little piece of tin foil. It's cut in half, comes in a paper bag. And then we found the cutest little tiny ketchup bottles. <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> and it's just it's a really fun surprise and it's unexpected. And um, one of the things that we like to do at the table is talk about the food, not just like list the ingredients, but sort of, you know, why we made it and give the history. And that's a really fun one and easy one for the waiters to sort of get into with the customers because not everybody knows what a chopped cheese is. And so we sort of explain the history of it and, and talk about it and how we're making it with a fennel kimchi, which is very different than making it with like a hamburger. Yeah. Uh, and so that's fun. And then the other one we have... Um, we, uh, we're making tamales, but we found these really fun corn molds. Mm. And sometimes it's sort of like, oh, it's weird why nobody's ever thought about this before. But the tamale looks like a pe- like a cob of corn, corn cob. Oh, yeah. Um, okay. Right? Yeah. Right? We're just, we're just have the masa. And it's... No, the size of it is exactly like that. No, yeah. totally. Right. And so it's just steamed and it comes on and it looks like a, a piece of corn, but it's actually a tamale. And, it's a, mm. and we also had to buy like a... A hot dog, like one of those hot dog steamers that you find at 7-Eleven. Oh, yeah. That's how it's kept warm at night. <laughs> so now it's weird. Like we have this weird like hot dog steamer thing in the back room. Um, <laughs> and uh, But it's fun and people get really excited when they see it and they sort of like make that correlation between the tamale and that the tamale is actually made of corn. I don't mm-hmm. think people think about that a lot. And sometimes ideas seem so... Like, why didn't we think about that beforehand? Like, yeah. It's just like, we were like, I'm so dumb for not having thought about that beforehand. No, but that's the invention of, of doing your style of menu. And if it isn't clear, listener, this menu is is unique. It's it's a tasting menu we're talking about. We're not talking about a la carte ordering. And the structure of your restaurant, it's a fixed menu. It's 95 bucks, uh, tip included. Um, and it's something you've been doing since 2015. Yeah. That's cool. Like, let's talk about that, that <laughs> because we talk about tipping a lot and this isn't an, an episode of like the merits pro or con. I think that's too, I want to talk Cute. about your, your story, but like you did that back in the day, well before that became common. And what does it allow you to do that pricing structure? You know, so right now it's actually, it's great for us. Uh, we are able to really pay our back of house well. And, and when I say well, I mean, the, the they start off at $28 an hour. Yeah. Um, which I was surprised to learn <laughs> recently actually how much high, like how, how much above the average that was. The average is still like 18 to $20, maybe 22 Some people are still getting paid minimum wage. I was like shocked after yeah. sort of the pandemic. Yeah. Um, I just didn't think you could get employees yeah. <laughs> for, for that little. And many don't and many fa- like right. close like, because they can't pay their employees. Yeah. Well, exactly. Barely. Yeah. And then for my front of house, we've settled into this real, and it hasn't always been easy. We have struggled uh, certainly over the years with front of house, finding people who really sort of like believed in the no tipping system. But We've settled into it. We find young kids who are really excited to work for us, who are eager to learn the business. And we also find really, really experienced servers who are just done with tipping. They're just like, I just want to know what I make every week. Yeah. And, you know, they um, start at like 28, 29, and it goes upwards. People, we sort of have these built-in raises. Um, and it just it actually allows me to get a really good night's sleep. Pre-pandemic, there really was, I know everybody talked about after the pandemic that there was this huge sort of like the great like restaurant resignation and there was no right. staff. 
I don't know where everybody was before the pandemic. There was no staff in New York. Yeah. We were really, really struggling. And, you know, there was, I don't, because you're not in restaurants, but I don't even remember, like, there was a thing called Paired, mm. where it was, like, journeyman co- cooks. Oh, cool. And, no, awful. Oh, oh, great. Awful. sorry. Not cool. Uh, <laughs> correction, strike that from the record. Not because cool. Because people, we kept losing all our cooks to this company where you could just sort of, like, that day choose what job you wanted to go to. You didn't have to have a permanent job. Oh, it's job. like a, it was like a, a tech company that yeah. was, like, like, freelancing people out. Yeah, oh, not exactly. Cool. And yeah. then they would sort of, like, you kept having to raise your prices to get somebody to agree to come. It was, oh. like, awful. And everybody was like, well, yeah, why would I have a full-time job that pays me, I don't know, let's say we were paying $20 in an hour, an hour where you have to commit to five days a week as opposed to I'll just get on this like app. I have some skills. I, they might, they'll probably pay me $25 an hour and I only have to work like three days. It was just this nightmare. Like we were losing so much, so many of our staff to them. And then, you know, everybody's looking for jobs. And so they were like, um, Everybody was looking to, like, hire people, sorry. And so, like, people, it was just this revolving door. We just couldn't keep anybody. Uh, and so now with really our new pay structure and we've sort of got, gone above and beyond and we're offering a lot more benefits, I get a good night's sleep because I know that 99% of my staff is we'll going to show up the yeah. next day. It's huge. Yeah, it sounds like um, that that was a big issue of, like, the no-show culture. And this paired idea is, like, confusing to me because how do you actually work in a restaurant when you're not there for, like, full time? I feel like... There's a lot of nuance in cooking. There is, but everybody was so desperate. Right. You'd be like, oh, you seem to know how to hold a knife, even though half of them didn't. You'd be like, yeah. great. All of a sudden, it'd just be a body. You'd be like, I'm just going to pay a body to Throw stand here. Throw them on here. the line. Kind of. Barely work. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's it's definitely, um, it's tricky. Another thing you do um, at, at Dirt Candy right now is you highlight your your cook's, uh, you know, invention. And if they invent a dish, you put it on the menu. Or you just, like, recognize them. And, again, this is something that maybe you see a little more now, but you're, you've been doing that for years. Why is that important? Well, one, I don't work alone. I don't work in a vacuum. I really do get a lot of help. And so even if sometimes the ideas sort of start with me, they're the ones who take it. They're the ones who do the bulk of the work on it. And I just, the restaurant is made up of all of us and they don't always get to interact with the front of house like with the customers as much. And I want the front of house to know how important everybody in the back of house is. And it's also a really good way for sort of my sous chefs and my CDC to get that experience in yeah. creating a dish. And, you know, when I first started out, <laughs> they were like, okay, well, you're now the chef. And I was like, okay, great. <laughs> and it took a long time to figure out, you know, what customers liked, what customers didn't like, what I could do, what was like not just cost effective, but labor effective. And they're getting all this experience now so that when they leave, and hopefully none of them will leave for a while, yeah. um, but eventually when they do, they'll be so much further along than I was. Yeah. I, when I visited in the spring, um, and I hope to visit again in the late summer, early fall, but the vibe was unique because first off, it was definitely people were having a good time and, and working, but there's definitely a level of seriousness. Like it was a serious restaurant. And, and like, especially on the service side, people were like, this is like very, this is their job. They yeah. take it very, uh, they take it very uh, seriously. Um, so it was a blending of the two vibes that I feel is very unique. I think you're either like, just like kind of like wild, like, you know, we're just like hanging out or you're like not having a good time. And it seems like you've created a culture of like letting things slide, not in a culinary sense, but like let people be who they are. Yeah, I think it's it's sort of become really important. One, I have to go to work every day, <laughs> so I really don't want to have a bad time. 
Yeah. <laughs> and it's really important that like I actually have a good time at work or like the whole like, there's just no point in in the restaurant anymore. And if I'm not having a good time, then I mm-hmm. <laughs> guarantee you that sort of trickles down and nobody's having a good time. Uh, but I do take it really seriously. And so that is the the line we work. I want everybody to have a personality. I don't want them to be these like robots at tables. Yeah. I want them to have fun. I want people to see that the kitchen is really good at their job and they're so good at their job that they can smile yeah. and they can talk to each other and there can be a back and forth. And and then when they need to, they're really serious and they get focused. Um, but that, you know, a kitchen can be a fun place. And, you know, we have all the sort of trappings of fine dining and we have a hierarchy in the kitchen. Yeah. And but it and that doesn't necessarily mean it's a like that's not a bad thing. We make it work. There's ways to make yeah. these systems work so that everybody is getting something out of it and everybody's happy. And for the most part, you know, I jobs suck. Jobs, we all have to have listen, them. <laughs> yeah, well said. I mean, it is it's definitely a hard work and there's definitely those days. There's yeah. probably tears some days. It just happens, yeah. Yeah, but for the, you know, we hope for the most part people have more good days than bad days yeah. and enjoy themselves more than they hate it and and part of that is letting them have fun and we do let a lot of things slip, actually, like things where probably five, six years ago, and, and this comes with age and experience mm-hmm. and feeling really comfortable with the experience. Where I'm like, you know what? Just who cares? <laughs> like, Agreed. we're not killing anybody. Yeah. So maybe that, you know, <laughs> the, the fork didn't go down on the right side, whatever it is. Um, it's a great baseline to operate a restaurant and, and have the highest level of, of, of like having your rule like to not kill somebody. <laughs> that is a great way to start. <laughs> No, I, I appreciate what you're saying because I think it's definitely like, you know, use a tech term, most viable product MVP. Like you just kind of got to do what you, what you can do best and not get so crazy in the details. Yeah. And, you know, if every day we hit like 95%, yeah. great. Um, what's business like right now? We're recording this in late July. It's like traditionally like a really tough time for restaurants. Though I was just out last night at Gertrude's in, in Brooklyn, fucking packed house. Yeah. So people, well, how are you doing right now? Um, well, we're a destination, so yeah. we're really lucky. We, uh, awesome. summer's an, an easy season for us. We, wow. tourists, yeah. like, are just, are there. And and we're reservations only, so we know exactly mm-hmm. how many, uh, people are, are going to come and, you know, people get on the wait list. And so we, we just tend to fill up. It's a, I think it's very rare for most restaurants and, you know, we're not overly expensive. No, um, it's, it's a really, <laughs> really, really important point that, you aren't overly expensive because if you dine in New York City, $95 is what you're paying for a couple courses and a drink. I know. I saw, I was in the back of the taxi and restaurant week yeah. this year, it was like $60 for dinner. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, wait a second, I'm basically restaurant week, but I'm five courses. I mean, completely. It, it used to be, it used to be like 30 right? and 20 at lunch. I mean, yeah, that dates us a bit, but man, yeah. I mean, that's, that's a cost of goods, goods issue. Um, you know, certainly uh, I think that you got to recognize that cost of goods are just extremely high right now. Yeah. And cost of labor is going up and, yep. of uh, course. and air conditioning. My air conditioning bill is so expensive. Yeah. <laughs> like electricity. It's just, you know, right now I think we're at like $5,000. Wow. I know. That's, cr- well, I mean, it makes sense. I mean, it's definitely, there's an energy crunch and I think certainly you look at your bills this summer, it's, it's higher, but still at 95, you're able to pay equitable wage and you're able to you know, uh, do you, do you make money yourself? Yeah, we, for the, since the pandemic, 
because we went to this slightly smaller set menu, it yeah. used to be much bigger, and we used to offer two versions. Uh, we have we've actually. Uh, I mean, we don't make a ton of money, but we we make real restaurant money somewhere. You know, some months we're at 10 percent, some months our profits 5 percent. We I think we rarely have months where we make nothing anymore. Um, Beautiful. Yeah, it's uh, the system is is really working. And that is because of the fixed menu that, well, there's two reasons. And because people are always like, I don't understand. Um, one, uh, my my rent is actually <laughs> It, it's pretty reasonable. Um, you know, we have 2,500 square feet, and I think our rent right now is about maybe 13000 12000 Yeah. Maybe it's 13000 But for New York City, yeah. it's actually, like, yeah. crazy reasonable. When I was leaving Dirt Candy, uh, the little one, little Dirt Candy yeah. at, like, 400 square feet, I think my rent was close to, like, 6000 or 7000 yeah. Like, wow. huge, huge difference. Wow. And, and so that really does, for the numbers we're able to do, the rent, that makes this big difference. But then also having the fixed menu, um, my food costs are down to about 12%. Oh, wow. I mean, that's really, really smart. <laughs> I mean, just like no waste. I mean, you just know because you know. There is and, none. You, and you switch your, your menu up quarterly. Is that about right? About we seasonally? Yeah, we yeah exactly. We do it four times a year. And yeah. um, it even allows us sort of this new system. We close for three days and everybody gets retrained and we have big staff meetings about the restaurant and that it beforehand i couldn't even have closed for a night without oh, like no. you know thinking i was never going to reopen again back to your location though you're like pre-dime square leases though. yeah <laughs> so like the neighborhood is like super different than when you signed that lease in 2015 I feel. it is super different but um i wouldn't say and i love allen street yeah. it's given me a lot i'm not sure it's like the most coveted street yeah in the lower east side to open a restaurant there's on. a lot of restaurants that close in allen yeah, yeah it's a tough tough hang on that street. yeah it's not like that pretty yeah that's why i was really excited when <laughs> the pandemic was over and i could take our outdoor dining house away yeah. um, because although actually i think we had a really nice one um eating on allen street isn't like yeah it's not that pleasant yeah, it, it means higher traffic. That's why it's just a pretty roaring. Uh, you, Ethan Hawk still come in? I sat next to him one time. Did is he, you? Yeah. Is he is he a regular? He was for a while. But yeah. he's, I haven't seen him in a couple of years. Buddy, show up. <laughs> this menu, this like like these tiny little you know uh, kimchi uh, sandwiches. Like, but, come on. But now Courtney Kardashian's a regular, so you know that's great. Have, have, has the film crew come in yet with her? No, it's never been. It's been never been the film crew. It's okay, just well, been her well, and let's, Travis. Oh, her and Travis. I mean, Travis. Are they are they, they plant based folks? Is that is that why? Or yeah, they... I think he's super vegan. Yeah, and she's now. Vegan, yeah. I guess. But he's been vegan for a while. I think he was an investor in like Crossroads in LA. Oh, amazing restaurant. Yeah. Love that restaurant. It's really cool that you mentioned that. And also, I brought up just in the question, I'm realizing I'm saying something. It, this restaurant is not only for vegans. Let's be clear. No. I think like it's obvious that there's obviously going to be like a built in audience, but man, it is exciting to see what you can do in a plant based um, environment. Yeah, I mean, if I thought meat was delicious, I would use it. Yeah. I don't not use meat because, I mean, also I wouldn't, I really wouldn't know how to be that creative with meat. That seems like a whole weird world. I don't eat meat because I don't like it. Yeah. I mean, sometimes I'll try it. I eat seafood, I eat fish. Um, but if I, it's just, it's not my thing. It wasn't my thing as a kid. I didn't love it. Um, but honestly, if I thought like, oh my goodness, you know, this, I don't know pork belly would make this corn taste that much better, I would use it. I have yet to find that. Yeah. 
Well, well said. I think so. You'll do like an omakase once in a while. You'll do some Japanese fish. No, that's not. Oh, I would. I would. No, you. Yeah, yeah. Because I I actually have never asked you about your own personal. uh, So you will do uh, seafood sometimes. Oh, yeah, yeah. And I'll try meat. I always like to see sort of what's out there and what I'm missing. And maybe I'll, you know, finally grow to like it. Yeah, no, I mean, whatever. But, but the <laughs> fact that you're 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 so creative without having to use meat is is ex- exciting. I want to ask you about the Dirt Candy Cookbook, which was released in 2012, and it, it tells the the story of a restaurant's opening um, as a graphic novel with with uh, with recipes you, you published, Jarrett Clarkson Potter, and and it, to me, it's one of the most original cookbooks, well ahead of its time, with graphic novels being so big now. Um, what do you take back, take away from that book that you, it was like the, about the, the founding of, of Dirt Candy? Yeah. Um, you know, we had been trying to sort of figure out if we were going to do a cookbook and what we were going to do. And, and I didn't want to do anything ordinary. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I always like to do something a little different. Um, and I sort of, I, even at the time, sort of how Dirt Candy operated was, people were like obsessed with because it was so small and it was really weird. It was just a weird, weird place. Um, (laughs) I mean, the kimchi donuts alone, but also the Korean fried broccoli. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Like that, (laughs) those two dishes alone were incredible. I made the Korean fried broccoli because of you, because you asked for a recipe. I know. But you did that because of, wow, I didn't even, I thought that was. Oh my goodness, we're having a moment, Matt. Oh my God, I mean, it's in Koreatown. (laughs) It's an amazing recipe and it's still cooked to this day. I get notes about it uh, at least once or twice a year. I get a note about it and the book has been out eight years. It was because of me. Yeah, because you asked for a recipe. Yeah. Yeah. Did you put it on the menu? Yeah, then it went on the menu and then, um, and and it was on the menu at uh, the big restaurant for years and years until yeah. we switched to just this one tasting menu. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, no. But the the the, the donuts make it on ever. Uh, the donuts were on the menu at the small restaurant, and I think we've done it once or twice for special events at the big restaurant. Oh, I love that! I love that dish so much. Um, but so we just, I just felt like tell like writing a cookbook, just a straight cookbook with the recipes. It didn't do justice to sort of the story of Dirt Candy and and how everything sort of was coming together. And the only way we could really figure out how to tell it was through, uh, like, in a, in a graphic novel uh, style. Because I really wanted, I, my experience with the restaurant was so much bigger than the food and so important, food yeah. so important. But, like, everything else that was happening on a day-to-day basis, kind of the, the food was secondary, just opening the doors every day and, you know, dealing with customers as a, Longtime chef, but first time restaurateur was just really weird. Yeah. <laughs> like never having had that experience and, you know, dealing with staff and all these like purveyors and being responsible for everything. I was like, somebody, I wish I had a book that had told me, you know, not just restaurant for dummies, which I did read. <laughs> um, <laughs> a great book, I'm sure. <laughs> uh, but, you know, what's it like to open a restaurant? Um, you collaborate with your partner on that, and 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 he's he's in the business, right? In graphic novel, he writes. He he's a writer. He's, he's a writer. He's a, a a writer, writer of books and movies now. Yeah, yeah. Um, 
let me the, the follow-up of course is i mean what's is part two gonna happen because <laughs> i feel like you know with any kind of graphic novel there's it's there's sequels like you have, there to have are a, sequels yeah i know what happened did all the vegetables grow old are they still as playful <laughs> what happened to me what happened to the three-legged chairs um <laughs> funny i love that the characters in the book yeah you're bringing this back i'm gonna get i gotta get my hands at a copy i don't have one in my office i'm gonna get one <laughs> i'll send you one. Oh, thank you um the i don't know you know there's been such a proliferation of vegetable cookbooks yep. right now. So, and they're really trendy. And um, I think all of them are great. I have blurbed many of them. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you're, you're very kind with the blurbs. Appreciate that. <laughs> um, but it just seems like right now everybody has their vegetable cookbook, every restaurant, every chef, um, every cookbook writer. And uh, I feel like, you know, I, I need a little bit of time for that to settle down and, and then to figure out really sort of what's missing on the market. And I would love to do it as a graphic novel. Again, I don't know if Ryan, who was the artist, yeah. uh, would have time. He was amazing, Ryan and Levy. Um, but it also took so much work. Yeah. Like, but I, the the recipes were the the easiest part wow. of it. You know, yeah. Ryan worked incredibly hard, and Grady and Ryan and I with all the writing. I it just it was this real like collaboration between three people who luckily all still like each other to this day. Yeah, you got the team, get the get the, the band back together. <laughs> yeah, right. I mean, everyone's busier now. I mean, yourself included, of course, with this bigger restaurant. But we'd love to see a sequel. Maybe, you know, in the next couple of years. We'll see. Yeah. Dirt Candy's 15 years old. We'll see how long we're going to keep it open. Maybe something right before we close. I love it. Amanda, on This Is Taste, we ask guests about their discerning taste. So to close this interview, here is a little rapid fire, fast and furious taste check. Are you ready? I think I'm ready. You think you're ready? Okay. okay. Amanda, the best AM pastry with coffee? Croissant. Oh, hands down. Like, do you have a favorite one? No, I'll pretty much have anyone. <laughs> Respect. The best dessert, hands down. Chocolate cake. Like, have you done chocolate cake in a restaurant? I, no, well, Rachel, our pastry chef, has made some chocolate cakes yeah. in a restaurant, and they're so good, but it's really hard to get her to remake them. Yeah. But hers are fan- fabulous. The best bread. Like a baguette. Oh, you're just like total Francophile here. I'm I know. Just, I'm, I'm sorry. I mean, and also, in particular, the baguettes from Party Bass Bakery, which are around the corner from Dirt Candy, which we use all the time. They're delicious. Respect. The most underrated piece of kitchen equipment. That's a that's a tough one. Um, okay. It's not a piece of equipment exactly, yeah. but your hands and your fingers. Yeah. I can't tell you how like everybody's so like especially cooks when they come to the kitchen they're like they want to do everything with their knives and they don't want to touch anything and I'm just like oh my gosh you have to feel everything with your fingers you know toss the salad with your fingers wash your hands it's going to be okay like use your fingers they are so much more important than like anything else it's a great point I fully agree and I think we get yucked out a bit as home cooks when we when we like we we just like reach into that bowl (laughs) reach into that container (laughs) we call them you know they're i'm like well these are nature's tweezers <laughs> hilarious also when cleaning up like you know you like want to scrape something with a scraper but just use your hands at the, yeah, in the garbage exactly and wash your hands that's why we have sinks and soap agree most overrated piece of kitchen equipment <sighs> i know these are so because i feel like my kitchen like i'm gonna say something and honestly You're like gonna, my kitchen equipment is gonna get so mad at me it's gonna break yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, my oven is gonna be like no. oh no tweezers Tweezers, yeah. You're not at your tweezer-free zone. We are. I love it. Your favorite New York City restaurant right now at this moment? Raps. 
Oh, yeah, right on. That's that's downtown as well. Yeah, just around the corner. Uh, it's great. It has this really sort of like elegant, lovely nighttime vibe. And then in the daytime, it switches over to a cafe and they've managed to make that work, which I think is incredibly hard in yeah. New York City to sort of be a, a two for a restaurant. Yep. Uh, and the pastries are delicious. Pastries are delicious. I love that. We had Kamari on the show two months ago. Yeah, she's great. Amazing. Your favorite cookbook of all time? Probably uh, Vegetables by Charlie Trotter. Interesting. I don't know this book. You don't? I, I'm absolutely like, tell me about it. Uh, well, you know, he had a series of cookbooks. Yeah. Um, again, like, it was like seafood, vegetables, meat. Yeah. Meat. yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think it was meat. Um, and my, I was at the Natural Gourmet, uh, which was the cooking school I went to. And uh, it, uh, my birthday must have happened while I was there. And it was a birthday gift from everybody. And I'd like the whole class bought it for me. And it has all their signatures. And I don't know where anybody is oh. in the class now. But uh, it, it, it's like so formative in my world, like how he saw vegetables and how beautiful each dish was and how like important the like the produce was to it and just the care. And I had never seen somebody care so much about something that wasn't meat. Yeah. And it, I'm sure it started me, you know, it was that first little like, you know, blink in my brain of like mm -hmm. what one could do with vegetables. It flipped the switch. And I think at that time, like, you know, you know, like a chef like Charlie Trotter, who's well regarded in all circles to actually focus on vegetables was against the grain a bit. Yeah. And he had this like really celebrated uh, vegetable tasting menu before it was like at all cool. Yeah. Um, and Man. the book still for a restaurant like that, the book still stands. If you went to school with Amanda, reach out. She wants to say hi or former <laughs> classmates. Your favorite vegetable? Onions. Why? Well, there are a couple of different reasons, Matt. First of all, they're highly underrated. Um, they are the backbone of like almost every savory dish and almost every cuisine. We love sugar as in a culture and they bring they bring sweetness. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Um, they can be sweet. They can be sort of bitter. They can... Um, to me, they're almost like an umami flavor in most dishes. I love the way that there's all these layers. They're beautiful when you cut into them. I just, I could not live without onions. Yeah. I mean, it's such a good call. Do you have a favorite between Spanish, white, and red? Red. Interesting. But for the color, for the garnish, for like raw or like wh why? I mean, I, that would not have been my pick. Really? Yeah. I like Vidalia personally. Yeah. More in the Spanish realm. Yeah. That, they're good. Yeah. But they don't give as much bite. I love the bite yeah. of an onion and I do like the color. And so that's always, it's an easy pop of color in, 100%. in a dish. Yeah. like And pickling too, like pickling a red. Right. All of a sudden you get like all these different colors. Yeah. It's amazing. It is amazing. I like that. Final one, your favorite sandwich. My favorite sandwich right now is the Frenchie from uh, Party Bus Bake Shop. And uh, it is very simple. It is a ham and cheese and butter sandwich. And we get one at the restaurant and we all split it. And wow. it is delicious. I know, but it's, I can't, they have the perfect combination of every single ingredient on it. I never have a whole one. I only have like Respect, a couple Amanda. bites. You but... just said like 10 minutes ago, you eat meat and you meet it, eat it when it <laughs> counts. And clearly this sandwich, it counts. Yeah. It also, 
Um, it really, really got us all through the pandemic. It was our treat. Uh, like at least once a week, we'd be like, all right, is it Frenchy day? When like, you know, there would be like nobody at the restaurant and it was depressing and the world was, you know, collapsing. We'd be like, can we get a Frenchie? I mean, a jambon bear is like truly on the podium. Yeah. I, I agree with you. But it's is it bread or is it the butter or is it the ham? What's I, I can't tell you. It is the best one in the city. It is the combination of every single thing that they use. It's the perfect baguette and the ratio of all the ingredients in it. It's just we've also done some taste tests with other ones around the city. Mm -hmm. And this one comes out on top every single time. I love the shout out and I'm going to have to try it myself. <laughs> Amanda Cohen, thank you for joining This Is Taste. Oh, thanks so much for having me. This Is Taste is hosted by Eliza Abarbanel and me, Matt Rodbar. The show is produced by Shalia Harris and Pat Stango and edited by Clayton Gumbert. Theme music by Steve Rydell. Visit Taste Online at tastecooking.com and make sure to subscribe to our newsletter for updates on all cool things that are happening.